if you're watching online, we have a, a smaller crowd this morning, uh, our Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but it's it struck me in that last song that it's funny whether you whether you love or less than love Christmas carols, and there's something uniting about it that I like across the ages of singing these these songs. And like I we used to sing those songs in England. You know, it's just there's something uniting about it that I quite like, especially on a weekend where there's maybe not so many people here. And if you are joining us online um, or on the podcast or whatever, a couple of things for you to note. We're in a different venue than usual, and the, the, the building has asked us to move upstairs, so you might hear some things that you don't normally hear. <laughs> some quality may not be the same as it often is, and you might hear some children whooping, um, and that's all good things. And the other thing is that, that we, we pray for your safe travels back from wherever you are to join us again next week. Um, last Sunday, um, Moses wrapped up that two-week giving series and talked about uh, the challenge it is for each of us to, to look at the, the hold that money has over our lives. And so I'd like to echo that again and reiterate that idea of, of really trusting Jesus with our finances. And my wife and I, we've, we've tithed for years and we always find it helpful to kind of plan the year ahead. Um, and then when we came to LMCC, we discovered that's a strategy that's used here too called pledging. So if that's helpful to you to, to come up with a with Jesus and in prayer, this idea of like, this is what next year looks like and commit to that, um, then that's a, an option for you. You can find out more information about that on the website. And either way, however you, you navigate your giving, however you kind of work that out in faith with, with Jesus, um, we don't have like an offering bucket. We don't pass a plate here on a Sunday. So if you call LMCC home, I would encourage you to listen to the message from last week and really prayerfully wrestle how you can sacrificially give to, to kingdom work through LMCC over the year ahead. Um, upcoming this week, um, Color Vault has another, I call it a worship party. Is that, is that okay? Okay, worship party on Wednesday. Um, and the Color Vault team, so they're taking music, music that, that points to Jesus to some maybe not so typical places, both musically and physically. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that um, as they take music um, that points to Jesus into new places in the city. It's really exciting work. Um, and we know that some of you here or some of you listening um, know other people who'd be blessed by that event. Um, some of you know people who have access to communities or networks that, that maybe we don't have access to that would be also blessed by that event. Um, we'd love your help to reach those people. So if, you, if some people come to mind that you'd like to help connect to that event, um, feel free to grab me afterwards, or better still, Alf. Really, better still, Miriam, who's uh, drumming this morning, she has more answers than, than any of us combined. So if you know any of those communities, any of those networks, please reach out. We'd love to help resource you to be able to connect those people to that. Um, I was gonna say show. It's more of a worship party, isn't it? We're, we're, we're worshiping Jesus in new ways, in new places in the city, and so it'd be great to have as many people there as, as would like to come and would feel that to be a benefit to them. We start, as we said, the first week of Advent this morning and this kind of season of expectant hope over the next month or so. We're gonna dive through the book of Ruth together and then that obviously ends in a Christmas Eve service together. So we're excited of what, what's gonna happen over the next few weeks um, as we go into this new this season of Christmas and, and, and hope and, and all the things that, that that brings, all the cinnamon and spices and cozy fires and freezing cold walks to work and all that kind of stuff. Well, we're gonna um, hear from a scripture today. So John Kim, who's been a part of the LMCC family for many years, is gonna read um, today's scripture um, for us.
So I'm the uh, same John that uh, Alf identified. <laughs> For those of you who didn't see me on the video. So uh, Ruth, uh, just to uh, let you know, she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So that's why she is so important uh, for our understanding. So I'm going to read the first chapter of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of his wife was, sorry. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of the wife was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malan and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives in the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt here, there, about ten years. Then both Malin and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, and she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went, to the way, uh, they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted, uh, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem, and the city was excited uh, because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and Almighty has afflicted me? 
So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Thanks be to God. morning. It's not an accident you're here today. We do have a smaller group, and we do have the babies with us over there. Um, the Lord consistently wakes me up before I preach, and um, this morning I felt it was very important to tell those of you that showed up in person and you're here, there really is a blessing in this for you today. The sky's going to open, and it's going to pour, and when it does, I want you to remember that that is part of that, the Lord's blessing that is being poured out on you today. And then for those of you, I'm closing my eyes because I'm talking to the people that are not here. I got to see him, you know, like Professor X. Uh, what's his name? Professor, Professor X. Yeah, and the X-Men, right? Like with the thing? Um, no, okay. Um, but for those of you that are not here, you know, listening on the podcast, I really had such an overwhelming feeling um, of that reminder that God really will leave the 99 for the one. And this is as much for you as it is for the people who are here. It doesn't matter the time and the space. This is for you. You are who you are. You are what you are. You are where you are because the Lord has willed it. Um, and so now just receive the blessing from this message and then come back to church next week. And find somebody to share this with too. Usually I wouldn't say that, but this week it's okay. Let somebody come to mind and find someone to share this message with. Okay, um, as you heard mentioned, the holidays are upon us. Only 28 days to go until Christmas. And we're going to spend today and the next few Sundays celebrating the season of Advent. Traditionally, throughout the history of Christianity, Advent has marked the weeks leading up to Christmas. There are four themes that are focused on during Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we're going to focus on hope, but we're gonna do that, and we're gonna do that for the next several weeks, as Phil mentioned, uh, studying and looking at the book of Ruth. And as you just heard mentioned, Ruth is a very important and a very unique book. Um, for one thing, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. There are only 85 lines of scripture, which is one of the reasons I think the church, the large church, uh, might tend to skip over it or not treat it as importantly. It's, it's fairly short. But there are only two books in the entire Bible that are named after women. Ruth is one. Does anyone know the other? Not you guys. <laughs> yes, Esther, that's right. But although Ruth is one of two women who has a book named after her in the Bible, she is the only non-Jewish person who has a book named after them in the Bible. Doesn't matter who you think about. Uh, you know, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of those people are Jewish. Ruth was not. She converted. And yet, Ruth is one of the five women who are featured in the lineage of Jesus. So we're gonna get from Ruth to 
Jesus, important book. Now, because this is week one, uh, I'm gonna do today a little differently. We're just gonna kind of walk through this chapter sort of, you know, section by section. Um, the other weeks won't necessarily be like this, but I wanna make sure we really set the stage. So join me, please, in a very quick prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Hmm. Hmm. Jesus, you are all of those things that we just heard said about you during our time of worship. And you do reach past our doubts. And you do come here to dwell with us. Jesus, I pray that you would fill this space with your spirit, even more of your spirit. Offer us all that you have to give and let us be able to receive it with open hands, open hearts, open ears, open minds. It's in your name that we pray, amen. All right. One of my first jobs, this is a true story, when I first moved to New York City, was working at a very fancy jewelry store called H. Stern. It's on Fifth Avenue, 52nd Street. You can go, tell them I sent you. That won't do anything for you, but you can tell them that I sent you. Um, and it's a very fancy jewelry store. Uh, when I started working there, I was such a country bumpkin um, that I used to look at the price tags and I was convinced that the person who made the price tags must have been sitting at their computer and a cat must have just like walked by and sat down on the zero key, you know? Like one, five, zero, 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 zero. Like how could a bracelet, you know, cost that much money? My job at H. Stern was to pour glasses of champagne or apple cider and to bring them over to the customers when they came in so that they would relax and have a good time and say yes to these um, astronomical prices. So I'd pour the champagne and then I would walk over and I would have a front row seat to these sales meetings. The sales associates, they would pull out, you know, a sapphire, an emerald, maybe a diamond, something that in and of itself in nature is okay. But when you scrub it up and you clean it, you can make something really magnificent out of it. But regardless of what jewel they pull out, the order of service is always the same. The customer, when they're looking at the jewelry initially, it's inside of a case and it's always on a white background. But when you ask to see the jewel up close and you're interested in it, they always give it to you on a black tray. Always black, always a very dark background because only against the dark background can you really see the splendor of the jewel. Only against the dark background can you really see the depth, the beauty, the craftsmanship that has gone into it. And that is what the Advent season is all about. And that is the setting for the book of Ruth. You and I, as one church, we're gonna read through this book 
And what we're doing is beholding a gem that has been set in a very dark background. And it's gonna be in this very dark place that we're gonna see a light shine forth. You're going to see in the book of Ruth, God take very ordinary, very everyday, flawed, broken, anxious, confused, doubtful people. You're gonna see him take people with their pain and their hardship, and he's gonna make something beautiful out of it. That's what we call providence. Providence means that God cares for, he guides, and he helps his people to accomplish great things despite everything else. Let me say that again. Providence means that God cares for, guides, and helps his people accomplish great things. I'm talking to you despite everything else. Providence means that when the unexpected happens or when you are disappointed, God can still use your circumstances for good. Providence is the theme in the book of Ruth. And providence is what all of us need to be more and more aware of. And so I ask you kindly to keep that word that truth in mind over the next few weeks as we walk through the book. The challenge with providence is that it takes time to see it. It takes time to appreciate how God works every single thing in your life together for your good. Jewels are not formed overnight and neither is your story. And you're gonna see that truth and you're gonna see those reminders so clearly in every single chapter of this book. Um, the book before this one is called Judges. And for those of you that, that don't know, the book of Judges spans several centuries. I mention that because Ruth starts toward the end of Judges. So they're set inside one another. And this is what the last line of Judges says. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Very important that we don't skip over that because like every good story, that's gonna impact what happens next. Quick reminder, quick history lesson. The people of Israel were rescued out of Egypt by God. They had a leader named Moses. And despite this great miracle, they rebelled against Moses, very rebellious. Moses had a successor, his name was Joshua. And by the time Joshua started to take over, it seemed like they wanted to get it together, that they wanted to follow the Lord. But by the time Joshua died, they had gone right back to disobeying God's commands. They worshiped other gods, they would always look at the nations around them that were godless and envy what they had and covet what they were doing, despite how God had already blessed them. 
They were disobedient through and through, and that is what the book of Judges is about. It's also about the consequences of that disobedience. And so when we're talking about a culture and a time when every single person does what's right in their own eyes, we're talking about a society that's rife with corruption, murder, trigger warning, sexual assault is rampant. And there's also a famine as a result of this disobedience. And so when Ruth starts inside at the end of Judges, that's what's happening. And we discover that in response to all of this, there's a man who moves his wife and his two sons out of the promised land to a place called Moab. And one of the things that Moab is known for is green, fertile land. So we're gonna leave the famine, we're gonna leave the dry, terrible place, we're gonna go over to what looks like it's greener grass. So they leave their hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means city of bread. They leave the city of bread where God has called his people where God has promised to take care of his people, but where we now see a famine, and they go to Moab where they can potentially farm. And he does this because he believes it's the right thing to do, but it is not. The Lord is not in Moab, and those people do not have a heart for the Lord, even though the Lord has a heart for them. Moab and Israel have a very interesting history. Generally speaking, Moab is usually described as the enemy of Israel. You read through the book of Isaiah, they're always trash talking Moab. They can't stand them. This is like Auburn and Alabama. You know what I mean? Like these two just do not like one another. And the other thing that Moab is known for is the God that they serve. Their God is bad news. He is nicknamed the destroyer. And the Moabites believe that the way to appease him is through a blood sacrifice. But they don't sacrifice adults. They sacrifice young children on a regular basis. And so when we talk about them going to Moab, culturally, they couldn't have gone to a more different place from what they had known and how they had been raised. And yet, that is where we're gonna meet Ruth. That's where she grows up, that's what she knows. Not only does this family go to Moab, not only do they stay for 10 years, but this man's sons marry the daughters uh, uh, marry uh, daughters of, of Moab's. They, they, they marry and then they live among their own enemies. They're never gonna be able to succeed the way that they want to. They're never gonna be able to blend in, but they stay anyway. And it reminds me, hello, so good to see you. It reminds me of a sermon that Moses, our Moses, not the Moses, our Moses gave a few weeks ago. And he said, he said this question, he said, have you become comfortable in your disappointment? 
And that's what I see in the first part of Ruth. I see a settling down. I see a settling for second best. Unfortunately, that man dies. And so do his two sons, leaving Naomi, his wife, alone with her two Moabites daughters-in-law. There is something very terrifying about the beginning of this book. We see a lot of tragedy unfold, the type of tragedy that I think most of us fear the most. And I think when you read something like this, you can try to outrun it, you can try to push it down, but inside there is a little voice that's usually saying, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Why haven't things worked out the way that I wanted them to? And I think these women were probably asking themselves the same question because at this point, they really have no chance. They are intermarried between people that don't like one another. They have no protector. They have no money. They have no thing, nothing to hope in. That is until God who has not said a single word this whole time, who has not appeared in the physical form, who has been there all along though, shows up. Providence hasn't said a word, but has been working behind the scenes the entire time. So as we heard read, Naomi receives word that God has visited his people. He has given them bread. And so it says she arose to return home. I love it when you read it in the message translation because in the message translation in verse six, it says, one day she got herself together. (laughs) When I read that, I had to push back from my desk and get up and praise the Lord. And I will tell you this, working in ministry, it's great when you see women get themselves together, but it's really cool when you see it happen to men. Because women, you know, we have clothes, we have hair, we have makeup. We have a lot of things that we can do to give the impression that we have gotten ourselves together. But men typically don't have that. There's not a whole lot they're gonna do with the physical. So when you see a man get himself together, come to himself, hear the call of the Lord, understand who he is, step out into his calling, stop playing games, get serious about the Lord, start giving his time get serious about protecting and raising a family. That is powerful. And we need to support men who are getting themselves together. One of the reasons I appreciate you so much. But anyway, back to the story. So these three women set out on this journey, which should be about a week. They're going from Moab back to Bethlehem. And they're in the middle of the journey when Naomi has what I would classify as a reality check. She's walking along. 
She has a very pronounced moment when suddenly, without warning, her soul, that is to say her mind, her will, her emotions, becomes involuntarily flooded with information about her surroundings. It, it drops on her out of nowhere. The definition, you see it there, an occasion that causes you to consider the facts about a situation and not your opinions, ideas, or beliefs. As followers of Christ, I'm gonna ask you to just scratch out opinions and ideas because our goal is always to try to go back to Jesus. Jesus is always speaking scripture whenever somebody has a question for him, whenever he needs to establish you know, north and south, right? So for us as believers, we're not going to opinions and ideas. We're trying to always go back to our beliefs. She's walking along. She's going back. And the reality check hits her so hard. Are you living under the stress of an unwanted reality check right now? Are you leaning more toward the facts about your current circumstances, your current apartment, your current job, your current health status, or are you leaning into your beliefs, what you know God has said, what you know to be true about him, what you know he's promised you? Maybe you say, well, we have to live in reality. We have to live with reality. Yes, we do. And Naomi is very aware of her reality. And she starts to spell it out for them so clearly. You know, they're walking along and they don't say anything to her. She turns to them. She starts out, you know what? Y'all just go. I'm a widow. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't have a plan. I don't have kids. Even if I have more kids, are you gonna wait for them to grow up? You should turn around, save yourself, go out there, have a happy ending, let me go and die. And every single person in here has that for themselves. The moments where you look around and the reality check is too much. I do it all the time. You know, I look around, like a bill will hit, you know, or an email or just something I wasn't expecting. And suddenly I'm like, you know, usually, hopefully I'm by myself. But sometimes as we see with Naomi, you're around other people when it starts to leak out. And it's more damaging than we know because that type of poor hoping, when we don't you know, check the reality check, that leads to poor coping. Is that cliche? Is it a little trite? Yes, it is, but it is also true. When you let the reality check dominate, that's when you start to lash out. You're scared, you're fearful, you're angry, you're resentful. We do have to live with reality. And the reality is people die. Life is hard. Money doesn't grow on trees. Or as my girl Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac said, time makes you bolder, 
Even children grow older. I'm getting older too. Stevie Nicks wrote Landslide, she said, on a day where she was sitting outside and she was in nature. And she said it was really beautiful all around her, great day. And she said out of nowhere, this thought hit her that everything she had worked so hard for, everything that she had built, all the success, that it could all come crashing down at any moment. Some of y'all look surprised that I know who Stevie Nicks is, but she wears long flowy dresses, she has big hair, she carries a tambourine, she's basically my spirit animal. <laughs> we do have to live with reality, but we have to live with hope too. And in the next moment, we really see it surface. Because in the next moment, Ruth does something very radical. She not only refuses to leave Naomi, committing to stay by her side, but she also commits to Naomi's God. And so when we read Ruth's words, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. We tend to read that only as a speech from Ruth to Naomi, but it is also Ruth making a declaration to the Lord. And I think it would do some of us some good to spend time in prayer in this season saying that back to God, God, don't force me to leave you. Don't let me go back to what I know is not gonna work. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, Abba, I will go. Now, if that's not you in this season, you know, let's say you come in, you're like, well, I already feel hopeful. I already feel joyful, you know? This is my time of the year. I, I'm one of those people. This is my time of the year then good, I don't want you to like force yourself to feel doom and gloom. If you feel hopeful and joyful, what I want you to do is stay there. Stay there and pray into it, but then I want you to find somebody to walk alongside who does not. Be cheerfully annoying and stick beside the people that feel weak right now. It says that when Ruth, that when Naomi saw how determined Ruth was, it says she quit speaking to her, you know? Like she just, she just quit altogether. Like, fine, I'm not gonna say anything else. She lets her join alongside, and Ruth is so gracious. She doesn't make any demands. She doesn't say, you know what, while we're on the subject, what are we gonna do when we get there? She just joins alongside her. And this reminds me of an Emily Dickinson poem. It's called Hope is the Thing with Feathers. And in this poem, Emily Dickinson does not imagine hope as a defined outcome, which is what we tend to do, which is why we get discouraged because unless it's a blank, you know, we can't see the way forward or we think we wouldn't want it. Unless God does X, right, then, you know, we wouldn't want it. But in this poem, Emily Dickinson defines it 
as an unwavering companion. Here it is. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope just wants to be with you. Hope just wants to ride out the gale, the worst storms of your life. Hope is sweetest in the gale. Hope brings warmth. Hope hums the tune for you when you cannot open your mouth to sing the words. Do not force hope to leave you in this season because you don't see how it will turn out. Let it accompany you down the road. And so, as we see, they return to Bethlehem. It is not wrapped up with a bow. Naomi comes back hurt, depressed, angry, and she mistakenly believes that her relationship with God is done and that he has afflicted her. But even when we are done with God, he's not done with us. And even when we give up on God, he does not give up on us. This family made mistakes in the beginning. But if you don't know by now, let me remind you, God is not so much interested in the mistakes you've made in the past as he is in what you've learned from them and your ability to trust him in bringing you into something else. Are you looking in the right direction right now? Are you looking toward the city of bread? Are you listening for what God is calling you to? Are you still focused on the mistake in the past? You just gotta hope. You gotta believe that on the other side of the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, that God still has something good for you. For everybody, yeah, for everybody, but for you, specifically for you. Naomi and Ruth, Providence, get back to Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest. They get back in the late spring at the point which there's so much opportunity for blessing, providence. And it's amazing that Naomi does not show up alone. She shows up with Ruth. What does that tell us? It tells us that even broken people who are still trying to figure things out for themselves can be used to help other people find the Lord. God's willingness to bless you, restore, heal, redeem you is always gonna be bigger than your failures. And if you can process the pain of the past from a hopeful perspective with providence in mind, what lies ahead is gonna take a far more beautiful shape, is gonna be better than you had imagined. Going back to that question I asked before, you know, why do bad things happen? 
why is my life like this? Why haven't things worked out the way I had hoped that they would? I read this sermon by Joanna Adams. I'm not that familiar with her work, but I, I read a great sermon of hers. And she said, the question is not why do bad things happen, but can God be trusted when they do? Should you hope again? Should you live again? And if so, how? All of this, Advent, everything you have going on right now, In all of it, the answer is how do we hope again and live again is by abiding in Christ, by remaining as close as we can to Jesus and turning to him with all of our brokenness in all of its forms, broken dreams, broken hearts, broken bodies, because cut off from him, how could you really live anyway? It's like... Uh, fortress that Alf wrote, you know? How could I live if I didn't have you? How could I die if I didn't have you? How do we hope again? How do we move forward in spite of the, re the reality checks? By abiding in him, staying close to him. That is how we endure all things. Like the poem that I read, what I want you to walk away knowing today is that your hope is not a thing. Your hope is a companion. And his name is Jesus. Sometimes it's dark and sometimes everything around us in dark is dark, but that is when the jewel of your life is gonna shine the brightest. The depth, the beauty, the craftsmanship in who Jesus is only becomes clearer the darker that it gets. And I always say this, I'm gonna end with this today. As followers of Christ, we are not promised that everything is gonna work out perfectly or that everything that we experience will necessarily be good or bring immediate joy. But what we are promised is that everything will be made new in Christ and we are promised providence, and we are promised that in the end, it is all good. So whether you find yourself in a hopeful or a hopeless place right now, search not for what your hope can be found in. Search for the one who holds your future hope. Let's pray. Lord, the worship team will rejoin us and we'll have a moment to sit and listen or sing. Please use that moment as you use all things. Use it to inspire us. Use it to give us a glimpse of what is ahead. Use it to comfort, use it to reassure and affirm that we are who we are, we are what we are, we are where we are, because you, the great sovereign Lord, has willed it so. 
and under your protective, loving hand, under your great, precious care, there is so much goodness in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.